All right, Alexander, let's talk about the uh, missile strike outside of Donetsk at this, uh, this facility school um, where Russian soldiers were, were staying at uh, the town of Makievka. The Russian Ministry of Defense, they have issued a statement, an official statement, and they put the number of, uh, of dead at 63 and we're getting varied reports as to the total casualties. Um, I've heard around 160, 65 plus, say. And then you have the narrative coming out of the Ukraine uh, side of things, where they're putting numbers of around 300 to over 400. So uh, that's pretty much uh, just a basic summary uh, picture as to where we stand as of this moment. Uh, President Putin has uh, ordered an investigation and he wants uh, the results by January 6th. And um, the Russian Ministry of Defense, actually the entire Kremlin, they are uh, making a point in all of their statements to say that these are American or U.S. or what was used, the weapon used was American or U.S. Uh, HIMAR missiles. It's just interesting that they're making sure to to emphasize the the fact that the missiles were of uh, according to the uh, the Kremlin, the Russian Ministry of Defense, that the missiles were uh, American in the HIMARS systems. Um, that's that's where we are. What's uh, what's that, your take that, on this? Well, that is indeed where we are. Well, can I say straight away? First of all, that I have absolutely no doubt that the Russian figures that we we're getting are going to are accurate i mean you correctly said 63 dead was what the russians spoke about yesterday but that is only a provisional figure obviously other people have been wounded some of those unfortunately are going to die of their wounds and there's also people bodies no doubt under the rubble they will find them and i think you know that this figure of 160 probably dead and injured will probably be about the correct um figure which i'm told i'm not a military person at all i don't know very much about military units but it's a company it's a company of troops apparently with their attendant equipment they were stationed in this vocational school there's rumors and we've only got rumors that what happened is that somebody used a mobile phone it was new year's eve Perhaps they were calling friends. Perhaps they were calling family to send extend New Year's greetings. That may have been picked up by um, Ukrainian or Western um, radio directional well, directional finders, and that led to a missile strike. Now that the Russians claim six HIMARS missiles, two were shot down four got through. So if you're going to use six missiles to attack one place, that must mean that you know what is there. I mean, you know, that's a large number of missiles, expensive missiles, to be used against one particular facility. So clearly, whether or not this story about the mobile phone is correct, the Ukrainians knew what they were striking at. And there was clearly a, a major security leak. Now, there's also, and I'm sure you've read all of this, lots of angry statements from Russian people, commentators about, you know, why were all these people concentrated in one place? The Russian 
Defence Ministry says this is a temporary location. I think we just have to wait and see what the official explanation is if we do ever get one. But for me, the big story about this incident, the, the thing that is makes it different is that the Russians are providing information about it. Now, you go back earlier in the war, and I was thinking in particular of that incident, you know, right back in May, when there was a um, attempt by the Russians to cross the a river, the Seversky Donetsk River. Some of their troops were then caught in the open by Ukrainian artillery fire. There were similar claims of Ukraine with hugely exaggerated numbers. 600 Russian soldiers allegedly had been killed at one, in one go. People then did you know, examine the drone footage and said it probably wasn't that many. It was probably around 150 similar to the number that we're probably going to get from Makayevka. The point is that the Russians maintained total silence about that story. They didn't discuss it. They didn't say anything about casualties. That allowed rumors to feed on themselves. Now, the Russian defense ministry, the Kremlin, seem to have understood that that kind of silence, that kind of secrecy, simply doesn't work in this kind of war with today's Russia. And instead, they're becoming much more forthcoming when incidents like this happen. Now, as to what it means for the war itself, it's a terrible tragedy. It's a tragedy for the people who were killed. It's a tragedy for the people who were wounded. It's a tragedy for the families of these people. There's already been ceremonies in some of the towns, like Samara and Toliati, where they came from. But it's not going to change the outcome of the war. And it's just an incident of the kind, I'm afraid, that happens in war all the time. What does this mean for the Kremlin? Yeah, I mean, what it means for the Kremlin is that they will have to deal with the repercussions. If there's been a lapse, a security lapse, they will have to find the perpetrators. If there was, uh, you know, uh, somebody used a mobile phone, that will need to be explained. There will need to be a tightening up on security. Some people will no doubt have to be punished, but it will not change the Kremlin's policies. I mean, can I just say, I think this is a point that I would say about Russia. This is a country which, when it resolves to see a war, tends to stick by its course. If you go back 20 years ago, 10 years, 15 years ago, to the time of the conflicts in the Caucasus in Chechnya. There were lots of incidents of this kind, and they never distracted the Russians from their objective. They, they continued with the war right through. And I think this is exactly what, what this incident is going to do. I don't think the Russians will be thrown off course by it, but they do understand that they have to acknowledge what happened, they have to show that they have concerns for the victims, the people who died, and for their families. And we can already see the Russian authorities taking steps to um, address that problem. That is a major change historically from the previous pattern of Russian uh, um, approach to this kind of thing. I mean, in previous wars that Russia has fought, 
you never got any admission from the Kremlin ever that there had been any losses at all. This time, it's different. And that is a sign, perhaps, of how much Russia has changed. Right. Well, um, I was thinking more uh, along the lines of the of political capital, say, for the Kremlin, for, oh, yeah. for Putin himself. Yeah, I, 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 I get Once again, the point, you're yeah. getting a lot of analysis um, from the Russian channels. And you always get this when you have this type of incident take place, whether it was yes. for... Uh, uh, the, the Kerch Bridge or, say, the Moskva or, or any of these other incidents that, that happened here, so on, or Kharkiv, you, uh, you, you get the, the discussion about, you know, was this the right strategy, going soft, going slow, what's going on, why were, uh, why were these uh, troops positioned so close to the, uh, to the uh, front lines, to the line of fire? I mean, you know, you start getting a lot yeah. of the, the questioning of the strategy. Um, now you have Surovikin, who's, who's yes. commanding everything. So, you know, that's, I think that adds a, a, another interesting um, layer to the analysis as to why. Why, why did this happen and yes. what are the political implications for, uh, for the Kremlin? And, and then what does this mean for the collective West? I mean, I yes, imagine indeed. this is yeah. going to fuel their, their, uh, their hope to, to get regime change, more money, more weapons. Uh, Ukraine yes. can do this. They can punish Russia. They can give Russia, yes. as Lloyd Austin said, a bloody, no- a bloody nose. So we need to to pour more into into this yeah. uh, this effort and this policy. Yes. Well, there is going to be a, there is a lot of discussion and criticism in Russia, and there always is. By the way, I mean this is another thing. I mean, you know, you follow Russian Telegram channels. I follow Russian Telegram channels. I mean, these people are enormously, a lot of them, very, very critical of everything that's done throughout the battle, the war. They criticize the Kremlin. They criticize Putin. They criticize the Russian high command. So far, by the way, they don't seem to be criticizing Surovikin, and he doesn't seem to be specifically criticized for this particular incident. Though, you know, who knows? Eventually that might change. But these people are very critical all the time. And, you know, you get people like, you know, Gherkin, the... Strelkov, as he's sometimes known, he writes things about this kind of thing. And again, you get lots of criticisms. But I don't think this makes any fundamental difference to the political, the politics of this. You look at Putin's um, poll ratings, they seem to be quite steady. I don't think it's going to change things in that respect. I don't think it's going to change mood or feeling in Russia. It might harden it. It might put more pressure on the Kremlin to take a harder line in the war. But I don't think ultimately it is going to make a huge amount of difference. But there are the two other points that you made. Firstly, in the West, well, they will use this. I mean, there hasn't been any success from Ukraine now for many weeks. I mean, Herson, the you know, recapture of Herson was the last big success Ukraine achieved, and that was weeks ago. The front lines are stagnating. All the indications are that Ukraine is losing lots of men and lots of people in many places, and they are short victories and attacking one particular um, place. On New Year's Eve, too, by the way, killing a lot of Russians. Well, that's a kind of victory. So you can play that up and you can say, well, you know, look, Ukraine is able to 
hit back. They're able to cause the Russians damage. There might be some pressure, therefore, to you know continue the arms supplies. I mean, NATO, the NATO military leaders are going to have a meeting fairly soon. They might be saying, well, you know, look what Ukraine is able to do with these HIMARS systems. Let's give them even more. But again, I have to say, I think that pressure is there all the time. And the more interesting thing, and this is what the Kremlin is going to do, is you were absolutely right at the start of the program in saying that the Russians have been making very big play about the fact that HIMARS missiles were used in this strike. And if you look at what the Kremlin has been saying, what the Russian information machine has been saying, what Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, said in a huge interview he gave uh, for Russian television um, on the 28th of December. They're hammering away at the point that this is not a war between Russia and Ukraine anymore. It's a war between Russia and the West. The West is trying to undermine and divide Russia it's using Ukraine to do it. This is an existential war for Russia. And the fact that American missiles were used in this strike, of course, plays directly into that narrative, especially given the fact that there are large numbers of reports that many of these American missile, uh, HIMARS strikes in Ukraine are controlled and guided by the Americans themselves. So that, that I suspect the Russians are going to play with, the Kremlin is going to play on continuously. They're going to say, look, the reason we're suffering these losses, the reason we're having to fight this war is not because of Ukraine. It's because behind it, there is the West, the collective West, the United States. They're pressing against us all the time. And you can see the proof. Look what they've just done in Makayevka. Yeah, uh, the the precision missile strike is going to play very nicely. I know the pressure is on every every day for longer range missiles or for more uh, more advanced uh, missiles to be given to to Ukraine. But this is going to play very nicely to the to the uh, neocons, the Lindsey Graham's, uh, the Blinkens, the Newlands, who are constantly making that case because now they can say, "You see, we." Uh, we succeeded in a precision missile strike. We did a lot of damage. Just imagine if Ukraine had X amount of, of, of these missiles and equipment and, you know, all of this, uh, the, these tools to, to hit at the Russians. They can strike deeper into Russia. They could do more damage to Russia. That would lead to more instability in Russia and that would weaken Putin's position, his approval ratings. You know, eventually you get to, you get to the regime change. I mean, that it's, it's really... Um, this really does make their case to to get the weapons that they've been calling for to Ukraine, these deadly weapons to Ukraine, and uh, that will eventually lead to to Russia's uh, surrender on U.S. terms and an eventual regime change in Russia. Because you know, look, we've with, with these precision weapons, look what we did, and that's just one case. That's one instance. So I mean, it, it plays. In my opinion, that's how the neocons are going to play it. That's how I can imagine them playing it. And I, and I think it will resonate. I mean, I think I could see a lot of Republican congressmen and senators and a lot of Democrat congressmen and senators. I could see them just nodding their head and going, yeah, absolutely. This, I, I see it. OK, let's let's approve. 
Let's approve weapons. Biden White House. Let's approve it. I mean, everyone will get on, on board. Uh, address that. And then what you said about how the Kremlin's going to use this, um, the fact that these are American HIMARS, the way they're framing the narrative, the, the messaging by saying American or U.S. made HIMARS, MLRS, and that that's across the board, across all the statements from the Russian government, as well as uh, Russian state media. There's two ways that you can look at this. And maybe there's more ways, but I can think of two ways. The first way is that uh, Russia is saying, you know, look, we're fighting NATO, we're fighting America. That is why we're going so slow and we're not, you know, making the 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 gains that you know everyone is is thinking we should be making so yeah. they could use that as a crutch as an excuse in a way it could be the reverse they could be signaling that you know look you see we are fighting the US we are fighting NATO so now we're going to really go hard i mean yeah. we are going to to really hit hard um at ukraine at command centers at uh Centers that are housing foreign mercenaries, foreign troops, who knows? I mean, the case can be made for, 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 this, uh, for, for, Russia, for American weapons. The case can be made that these are, these are uh, preventing Russia from, uh, from making gains, or it could, be, it could be used as an excuse to, to, uh, to take the gloves off for, for Russia. I, I, I yeah. don't know, maybe there's... There's yeah. more to the narrative right. or the framing right. messaging of this. Right. L- 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 let's address the two things because actually I think this is very important. It's the most interesting part of this whole thing because I said the, 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 the Makhevka incident in, in itself as part of the battle, the actual war that's going on, tragic though it is for the people involved, is not, I think, a big event. I mean, if you look at it from the other side, Russian missile strikes across Ukraine, Lots of Ukrainian soldiers get killed every day from Russian missile strikes. The reason we give this attention to this one is because, firstly, the Russians have suffered. They, they had their losses. And, of course, they're, unlike the Ukrainians, they're talking about these losses. So that's, that's – but, but, you know, we mustn't think this is going to change the battle. But the political battles happening both in Washington and Moscow – they are very important. Let's talk about Washington first. You're absolutely right. The neocons are already seizing on this. They are also, by the way, the British neocons, if you like, who are, of course, part of the same group. They're also seizing on this. There's lots of things, you know, Ukraine is, you know, able to fight. It's able to inflict these losses. We should give them more weapons. We should give them attackums, missiles that they can hit deep inside Russia. We should give them fighter jets. We should give them patriots. We should give them everything they possibly want. And our objective should be victory. And there is a very disturbing and rather unbalanced article in the New York Times by a British person, by the way, British neocon says, you know, forget about Russian red lines. Russia doesn't have red lines. There's no such thing as Russian red lines. We can do whatever we want. We can enlarge, we can attack, we can invade Crimea, even though we've just, there's just been an admission today that there are actually nuclear weapons located, Russian nuclear weapons, permanently based in Crimea and always have been. Um, so we can we can attack anywhere we like. We can do anything we want because you know the Russians uh, they just bluff. 
that <laughs> they're, they're never going to really respond and that's what we should do now that's one side of this argument in washington and they're going to try and use this mckayevka affair and it's you know one more part of the claims that they're going to make and as you correctly say there are neocons or neocon inclined people on both the democrat and republican side and they will you know it will re these things will resonate with them but there is a, there is the other side um as well and it's clear to me that it's principally now to be found in washington itself and it's very interesting for example that with the patriot missile delivery that we were hearing so much about with every day that passes we see a systematic attempt by various officials in washington to make it clear that this is not a particularly big deal. So now we're being told that system isn't actually going to be delivered to Ukraine until next year. That is 2024. That only one battery will be provided and no more than that. That it's going to be in a fixed location, which makes it an obvious target. And that they've apparently provided written assurances to the Russians that there will be no U.S. personnel of any kind, apparently, uh, um, operating this system, that it'll be entirely Ukrainians. So somebody in Washington is trying to exercise some degree of restraint. They're trying to keep, prevent long-range missiles like the Atakams being delivered. They're, they when a decision is made to send Patriot systems to Ukraine. Somebody comes, steps in and tries to neuter that to the extent that they can be. So there is push and pull. And there are many reasons for this. Firstly, the Pentagon is worried that most of its, you know, arms supplies are getting depleted. <laughs> they don't want to see more HIMARS missiles. There's apparently already now a shortage of HIMARS missiles. There's going to be a there's already there's also a shortage of Patriot missiles. They don't want them all going to Ukraine, leaving the Pentagon exposed if there's conflicts in other places. All sorts of there is that concern as well. But there are also political concerns, and of that I have absolutely no doubt. And some people, uh, uh, well, Biden himself admitted when he was um, hosting Zelensky that European leaders have told him in unequivocal terms that they're prepared to go all the way, except that they're prepared to, they're not going to go. There's one point that they will not go to. They do not want to get or be drawn into a direct confrontation, a military confrontation with the Russians. And that is obviously also a constraint as well. And then there is a third constraint, which is a political one, which is that you are seeing increasing numbers of Republicans, especially in the House, rebelling against this policy. You had situations where people like Representative Jordan, Jim Jordan, and people like that, they refused to applaud when Zelensky addressed Congress. So you're having a, a push-pull type situation in Washington. And it's clear that the neocons are running into some resistance. So this Mikhaevka affair 
will work to their advantage to some extent. But I don't think you can take it too far. And I don't think it's because I don't think it's a particularly big incident in itself. And I think that it won't decide the argument that is going on in Washington and which is clearly happening all the time. Now, in Moscow, it's the other way around. You have the Kremlin, which has been trying to conduct this war in a very methodical, very systematic way from around April, May, when it became clear that Ukraine was not going to compromise, um, that you know the, the negotiations in Istanbul failed. They've been taking a very incremental approach to this war. They don't want to, Russia to experience massive casualties. They clearly want to build up Russian military and you know crank up military production. So they're t- wanting to take an incremental step-by-step approach to this war. And there is always pressure in Russia, and it's pressure, a lot of it coming from the public, the Russian public. Why are we allowing these things to happen? Why are we letting Donetsk get shelled every day? Why are we letting our people die in places like Makayevka? We should take stronger action. We should avenge the deaths of these people. We should hit the Ukrainians harder. And I get to say this, I think the Kremlin does respond to this. And quite apart from the fact that we've now seen these constant Russian missile barrages across Ukraine um, that really began in October, the very latest Russian missile barrages, barrages are now starting to target NATO facilities in Ukraine. and. You saw an attack, for example, on the Alfavita Hotel in Kiev, which supposedly hired, uh, housed Western contractors, mercenaries and people like that. Uh, we've had Lavrov saying, you know, we know where the um, CIA people are located in the SBU building. We know about the military attache office the the American military attache office in Ukraine. You've you've had Putin saying, you know, if there are uh, the, the you know the Patriot system is one hundred percent a target, and clearly signalling if Americans are involved in trying to operate that system, they're a target too. So gradually, steadily, incrementally, the Russians are hardening their position. Also. Partly, no doubt, for military reasons, but partly because of this pressure that is always there and which is no doubt growing. Uh, Final question. Uh, Throughout this conflict, there have been military analysts um, who have claimed, military experts and analysts who have claimed that uh, Russia absolutely knows that uh, there are NATO commanders located in Ukraine and they are... uh, essentially uh, operating, they're quarterbacking the, uh, the conflict. And there were uh, back-channel agreements, let's just say, according to many of these experts, um, yeah. from both sides, from the Russian side, from the European and the American side, there were back-channel agreements which claim, allege, that uh, you know, Russia was to not um, touch these, uh, these command centers. And even Medvedev has, has alluded to these command centers, uh, that Russia should not touch these command centers, 
and these command centers would manage the war so that events like what happened uh, over uh, New Year's do not happen. Do you believe in these uh, these uh, these theories, these 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 this, this analysis that uh, there was this type of agreement? And if you believe in it, do you think this type of uh, of back channel agreement to not? For the Russians to to not target the command centers will continue to hold. Right. I think I believe in it up to a certain point. I think that there are discussions going on. Um, um, Lavrov, again, in that big interview, did say that the U.S., that the Russian embassy in Washington is still operating. They still have contacts with the Americans. They still obviously have some ability to sort of speak with people in um, Washington. And from a Russian point of view, you know, it one can see the attractions because it gives them leverage to some extent over what the Americans do. They say to the Americans, look, we know you're there. We know where you are. Lavrov, as I said, was identifying where they were. We know where you are. We will not come after you if you don't do certain things. So, of course, if you send Ukraine at Atkins missiles, for example, which can go deep into Russia, if you send them very advanced Patriot missile systems, if you do that kind of thing, well, then we will retaliate and we will come after you. So it gives the Russians some degree of leverage. But these things tend to be extremely unstable. And in a particular uh, conflict like the one we're seeing in Ukraine at the moment, and with the Ukrainians, oh, sorry, with the neocons pushing all the time for whatever constraints there are to be thrown aside, you can easily imagine that any kind of implicit agreements, they were also very much the case in Syria, also, by the way, implicit agreements like that can break down and came break down very soon. Now, Lavrov, he gave a huge interview, and he said, you know, that we are currently planning an interdiction campaign. We're not just going to go for the energy infrastructure and the railways. We're also going to go for tunnels and bridges. We got sort of plans for that. That's essentially what he was saying. Bridges over the Dnieper, maybe. Who knows? But probably eventually um we will see an escalation from the russians they will perhaps try to keep things in balance with the americans to some extent but clearly there are red lines clearly there are rules but in this kind of game rules like that can collapse and have no meaning and can do so very quickly and i don't believe they will hold yeah, it already seems that they're collapsing. Okay. Um, Absolutely, yeah. We'll end it there. The, yeah. the Duran.locals.com. Look for us on Rockfin as well. And the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.